Hi, my fine friends. Welcome to another edition of Rahalastapa. This week we are talking once again to the fabulous writer-comedian, host of Improvisation, my dear Mark Watson. It's Mark Watson. And uh, it's very good. We recorded it at the Phoenix. I hope you'll enjoy it. We're recording more live shows at the Leicester Square Theatre from the 28th of February, most Mondays, right to the end of April. First Mondays, first couple of Mondays in April we're not doing, but everything else we are doing. We've got some amazing guests lined up, including Paul Chuckle and Dr Nina Ramirez. We've got Charlie Borman, the one testicle Richard Herring-faced who likes motorcycling guy. We've got Jamie Demetrio. We've got Armando Yanucci and Rosie Holt. We've got Omid Jalili and Lazy Susan. That's a pretty good night. Come and see that. We've got Dara O'Brien. And <clears throat> there's also quite an exciting guest lined up for the last one, but I can't announce who that is yet. Go to richchang.com slash gigs to find out the gigs. Go to the Leicester Square Theatre website to buy tickets. We'd love to see you down there live. If you can't make it live and still want to see it live, you can live stream it. Go to gfsboxoffice.com. You can buy tickets for £10 and that get the evening show, which is two interviews for just £10. You can watch that live or you can watch it whenever you want to after it's uh, gone out. It will be yours for a while, if not forever. So um, do it. Help us out and tell your friends about the podcast. And uh, just by listening, you are helping us out. And we're putting the money into making more podcasts, feature films, and who knows what else. We've won an award for a sketch we backed. It's all going very well. Thank you for your support. Let's sit back, relax, and enjoy Rahula Sturper with Mark Us Watson. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Phoenix. Please welcome a man who has all his own hair. It's Richard Herring. Thank you very much. Hello. Hello, the Phoenix. Lovely to be back. You're much better than last week's audience. Oh, it's good, it's good to be back on stage. Uh, welcome to Richard Herring's Low Stress Training Podcast. It's, um, yeah, I can see a few uh, potheads out there know what I'm talking about. We're... Uh, change the direction on the podcast this week we uh, me and my guest will be discussing the technique used to train cannabis plants uh, into <laughs> the desired shape to maximize light usage and yields low stress training i hardly need to tell you that's what that is <laughs> love, i love it oh i sure love cannabis cannabising around that's what i like but i was uh, talking to michael fabricant uh, this week and he uh, <laughs> He says he calls it whatever Boris Johnson tells him to call it. <laughs> so he refuses to call it Rahalastapa. <laughs> Hooray! Um, lovely to see you all. Thank you for coming out. Um, so th- not much has been going on since last week. It's been a, it's been, been very quiet for me since the, the last show. I, st- I, went, I went and sat over there. Um, but uh, my son, Ernest Herring, um, came back from uh, his uh, grandparents uh, the other day and said that he wanted a real magic wand. Like, not like he wanted a magic wand. He said, I want a real magic wand so I can make people fly, and then I can fly. And uh, as, a, as a dad, you kind of want to do everything you can for your son. So I said we would get him one of those. So if anyone knows where to get a real magic wand, that he can actually... It's quite... It sort of it reminds you when you're four years old, though, it's sort of that powerlessness of being four. It would be really cool just to be able to 
I don't think, in his hands, I think it would be a dangerous thing. But as a good dad, I want to try and do that for him. So if anyone can help me with that, then he, I know a lot of wizards listen to her. He thinks he's a wizard. And maybe he is. You know, don't, you don't judge. Diagon Alley. Uh, yeah, it could be. Do you think, I, I'd never realised this until someone said it the other day. Do you think Diagon Alley is called that because it sounds like diagonally? Yeah. I didn't realise that until the other day. <laughs> I think it took me, it took, it's taken me 20 years to get that joke. <laughs> now, I cannot enjoy it anymore because J.K. Rowling is transphobic. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm very woke, and I'm very woke. Can't enjoy, I would have enjoyed that 10 years ago, but now, knowing the stuff that's come, that the inventor of that joke died diagonally. I mean, it's not really a pun, because was it diagonal, diagonally? Oh, it is a pun. <laughs> Uh, and I saw the news uh, this week that uh, a, a, a robot Hoover had escaped from a travelodge <laughs> in Cambridge. It's begun. It's begun. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I I thought it was. I stayed in a travelodge in Cambridge where there was a there was a, someone else's bogey on the shower curtain, <laughs> and it, I thought that explains it because you know those Hoovers can't get up. They can't go vertically. They're making robots do it all. But it was a different one apparently. So. I, you know, people try to escape those travel. Never stay in a travel lodge. That's what I'm saying to you. <laughs> unless they uh, advertise, unless they're this week's sponsors. <laughs> we might have to go back. Because the thing is, like, they could sponsor us in, like, in 10 years' time, and I could have forgotten that we said that. In fact, I think the last time Mark Watson was on the... Oh, giving away the guest. Uh, was on the podcast, I think we talked about Bill Hicks and advertising... Uh, and when the adverts first started going in, someone listened to that, and halfway through us t- that conversation, the conversation broke off for an advert to come on. I'm going, yeah, I'd never do adverts. <laughs> Go and stay at a travel lodge. They have robots there. You can fuck them if you want. That's why, that's why they escape. Get it back in there. Gonna be the, I'm going to be the Jeffrey Epstein of the robot world. Twen- ten years' time, it'll come out. They're all the because ro- it was fine in this day and age. It's fine. The robots are just hoovers, but in twenty years' time, robots went. How can he fuck the robots? <laughs> can't judge people by the stand, can you? You can't judge. You saying you can't judge Jeffrey Epstein? Maybe <laughs> <laughs> sick. Maybe see people. Maybe I'm very woke. I think I think what Jeffrey Epstein did was wrong. <laughs> he, he's almost as bad as J.K. Rowling. <laughs> Okay, my guest this week. I mean, we all know what he's best known for. <laughs> Improvisation, my dear Mark Watson. But we can't do the same thing every time. So let's just pretend that he's best known for his appear- one appearance on Odd One In. <laughs> Odd One Out, Odd One In. I get it. It's Mark Watson, ladies and gentlemen. Here he comes. Odd, from Odd One In. From Odd One In. I, got, I kind of got up on the stool okay again. Uh, nearly. I just, I don't, I can't immediately think what Odd One In was. Well, Odd One In, I wondered whether you, it's not Odd One Out, you think, I, when it starts, you go Odd One and you think, you're thinking out. Oh, so yeah. you're thinking it's going to go, no. Right, odd is, One it's In. It's never tight. It's Odd yeah. One In. It was hosted by Bradley Walsh from The Chase. I now remember, yeah. <laughs> 
dear me. Peter Andre was my fellow guest. That's the average. Yeah. Well, I looked through the list of people and I wondered which one you were on with. There was a few names in there. Peter Andre. It was That's a the cream of the crop. It was Andre, yeah. I got, a, a, at the time, a selfie with him, but it's on an old phone, which will probably never be seen again. But to be absolutely fair, Peter Andre probably won't be seen again. So, uh, so I don't know. <laughs> yes, it was some sort of... It was, a, it, I think, an ITV... It was one of these things that you sometimes get where you wouldn't watch it, but it might be on if you were, like, in a hospital. Yeah. <laughs> Quite a lot of the TV shows I've done, you would only really see it if you were what you'd call waiting for something. Okay. There's a very thin line, though, between the, those shows that kind of disappear and, the, you know, The Chase could, e could easily have been a 15 episodes and then disappeared, but it's gone on for 10, 12 years. It's very good, though, The Chase. I, know, I can't remember Odd One. Do you, it, what, do you remember what the premise of Odd One is? I can't even... Was it you had to put the Odd One in something? I think it would have been <laughs> one of these things. Was everything odd <laughs> yeah. apart from one thing that wasn't odd <laughs> yeah. and you had to, you had to take the, the thing that wasn't odd... <laughs> Out the one thing that wasn't. This is why like Bradley the other gets things. these gigs, mate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, he explained it much more succinctly yeah. than this. I, um, yeah. Yes, I can't remember, but I think it was you had to you had to find an odd thing and put it in a thing that it shouldn't be in, basically. Uh, so maybe find a trifle, put it in a bank account. Or yeah. I, um, no, I can't remember a fucking thing about it. But I, I do remember, and it, until you said odd one, in I would have. It makes me question how many other things I've done like this where... But you're right, though. It is, if you'd been on a pilot of The Chase or something, you'd have yeah. probably thought, well, I'll never think about that again. And then <laughs> I, I've been involved in a handful of things which uh, seemed quite shit and then went on to be... Uh, like Celebrity Juice, I remember yeah. being... I wasn't on it, but um, I was involved in like a, you know, sort of a, a run-through of the idea. And I, I did sort of think this is one of the worst things I've ever been involved in. <laughs> and... Um, I went home thinking, I doubt they'll book me for that. But on the plus side, celebrity juice will never be a thing. And I've also been involved in things where I thought, well, that was great, actually. Looking forward to um, the famous one being the improvisation show, of course. But <laughs> I, um, so basically, yeah, you this is the trouble, isn't it? Yeah. With, you don't like to turn things down because it might turn out it's really good. But, but still, the odd, that, the odd one in thing is peculiar because um, I will have done half a dozen things like that, which I'll never remember again. Like if I was on... If I was at gunpoint and I, I was, could only be reprieved by listing all the TV shows I've been on, I still, I still wouldn't have got that. And, but you'd think, and it, it sounds like I'm, it's obviously not a boast, but it is an odd thing. When I was at school, if someone had said to me, do you reckon you'll ever be on a TV show with Peter Andre? Um, <laughs> and forget it. I, 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 of course not, no. So in a way, that shows I've had quite a good, varied career, but, but it doesn't feel that way. <laughs> Well, that's sort of your, your audio book uh, that's, uh, that's Eight Deaths which is and uh, Life After Them, which is on Audible. Um, sort of is a little bit about that, isn't it? About the, about the choices in life that come up and the things that... And certainly the, the shows that you've created, one has created. I mean, a lot of this book uh, resonates very strongly with me. As, that's good. Uh, well, because we've had very similar... <laughs> A terrible career. <laughs> <laughs> We're both people that do absolutely loads of stuff, and some of it is fine, and some of it you look back and think, we, "Oh dear." Well, we've both been going. Yeah. We've both been going for. A, you know, I've been going a little bit longer than you, but we've both going. We've both worked the whole time, and we've both tried to put together loads of shows for executives that haven't come off. My favourite one from the book is you taking something to a channel and them telling you that it didn't fit the voice of the channel, and then recommending one of your shows. 
as the voice of the channel that he didn't realise you'd written. Yes, it was BBC Four, this, and it was, I, I, um, they were saying, I don't think this is quite right. It doesn't seem like the... Um, it's a very specific voice, BBC Four, the guy was saying. The guy had sort of a hairy... You know when someone's got their shirt, like, it's not done up enough. And, um, yeah, the sort of... He looked like someone that you might have got presenting Top of the Pops in the 90s. And, uh, but he was the commissioner, I had to impress him. And, yeah, he said, I, I don't think um, that you quite know the, the, the flavour of the channel. Um, a good thing to watch would be a thing called A Child's Christmases in Wales. That was one of our big... And I had to politely say, I, I wrote that. <laughs> and, um, which I had. It was only a one-off, uh, so it passed him by a bit. But that was for his channel. And that was a moment where I thought, and about five minutes after that, there was a knock on the door and his uh, assistant came in and said, oh, your next thing is... But I don't, that wasn't true, I don't think. I, uh, and I, that's why these guys get the big bucks, because I don't know how he made that happen. Uh, but uh, he, he must have had some sort of panic. But yeah, I've been... And it's been the same for you, Richard. I've been... Even at, apart from the things that I've tried and failed to pitch, um, I've been... Uh, sort of attached to so many TV projects which didn't happen. And some yeah. of them you look back on and think, that was never going to... I saw this email recently. I'd forgotten about this as well. But uh, about seven or eight years ago, for Channel 5, to be fair, Channel 5, but still, I, I, it, do, it, does, it does exist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> these people are worthy of love, like anyone. Um, a production company said, we wanna, we've pitched this to Channel 5. Is it all right to put your name on it? And it was called Mark Watson's Big Clean. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right? Already, it writes itself. There's a huge audience for this. And the premise was, um, you know these people that go up the top of high-rise buildings and clean the windows on those gantries? I would, base, I would do that. And um, over, over six episodes, the whole, the whole series was there. Over six episodes, I would clean six different really tall buildings and get an insight into what it's like to be one of those guys. Anyway, as I say, eight years ago, and we've not heard anything uh, for a while. So, um, and at that time, I was doing quite a bit of telly, and I suppose I was... But even... Like, even now, if you attach Acaster to that, I'm not sure... <laughs> I, I don't think it's... But, and it's funny, like, again, you've had it, Richard, where you just... You read, the, you read the pitch and you think, well, yeah, I suppose I'll probably... I don't know, I'd be very uncomfortable with the... But I'd probably do it, but... but who the fuck wants to watch... Like, no one wants to watch that shit. <laughs> but you, you think, well, these guys are in TV. They know what they're doing. So, fair enough. And then when you look back on it from eight years of vantage point, you think, they must have been absolutely desperate. <laughs> I, um, there was a whole production company who a month of their development time was just, like, writing up this treatment and photoshopping in pictures of me halfway up the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> I, I was like... Who, who would watch that? Nobody would watch it. Not even a pilot. Six episodes. <laughs> It's just about they'd settled on you. I wonder if they had got like said ten different celebrities in and photoshopped different celebrities. Or they'd go, this has to be Mark. First of all, this has to be Mark Watson, right? That is the that's the deal killer. It has to be him cleaning buildings because that's otherwise, you know, what, what's the hook? You can't help wondering. There's got there'll be. I mean, we joke about it, but right now someone is writing up, putting the finishing touches to Richard Osman's big clean, and uh, <laughs> although one of the guys that tall, there's no challenge in it. Uh, so it's like just gets a tea towel and does it standing up. But yeah, like I, again, ten years ago, I was quite not exactly bitter, but I used to take it really personally. Now these things come and go, and you just think, well, yeah, that was probably not a very good idea. <laughs> um, 
And also you accept that most things that do well on TV probably were destined to. Like, even Celebrity Juice, I could understand why it was successful. And most things that weren't going to have a chance just didn't anyway. So it's, it's less to do with you. Well, it is, but I think like, it sort of really points you. up the... There's a lot of chances. I think on both, in front of the camera and behind the camera in, in TV. And, yeah. and that, I mean, that story about an executive pitching, pitch, you know, saying you're no good and this is good, but you wrote it, is just... You, you know, you would think if that turned up in a script, you'd go, that's, that's two on the nose. But yeah, and I don't think, I think he'd commissioned the one that I wrote <laughs> as well. I, I, I don't think he was a newcomer. I no. Think he I think he, he everyone's, yeah. Everyone's sort of played, but like, I, the thing I, I was, I, we were writing one of our radio shows in one of these production companies. And it sort of just struck me, you know, there was someone working on another show, on some desks across from us as we were writing our show. And they were trying to come up with guests for the, whatever the show was. And the way they were doing that was flicking through the Radio Times and just saying every name they saw in the Radio yeah. Times. And you go, oh, that's how they... But, so they, you know, they would just read out the name. They wouldn't necessarily even know who it was. Go, what about this? Oh, no, I don't know who that is. So yeah, that, that's the just, booker of a TV show. Yeah, it tends to be whoever it already is on, <laughs> yeah. let's have them again. Yeah. Which is why it's difficult if you're on the... And this sort of partly what the audio book is about. If you, if you get on the wrong side of that, it feels very difficult to get back on the right side. Of it. Whereas if you are... Um, somebody like, I don't know, Richard Iwadi, or if you basically, yeah, the thing with TV is if you're on it, you'll keep being on it. Um, but if, you're, if you can't get on it, then you, you will continue to not get on it. And if you, if you are on one side of that and then fall the wrong side of the line, you feel as if you've committed some terrible, like you'll never get back, you know. And yeah. that sort of is true. Once you've, once you've lapsed into the point where you can't get on TV as much anymore, it is very hard to reverse that, but it's whether it matters as much because a lot of these TV shows don't make any difference to your life anyway. You, you just you feel as if you ought to be doing it. That's all, and yeah, it's the well, only it's, measure it's, of your success in life. It does feel, I mean, but I think that's. I mean, that's, that's the book is a sort of, is your sort of journey through realizing what sort of what's more important in life, and maybe if you had. Cross that line and been one of the guys on the other side, you wouldn't have had that realization. But yeah. you know, that's why, again, you know, that similarly for me, I can remember, you know, we were on, we'd been on TV, we we're doing quite well, and I remember going to a party, and I think it was like the League of Gentlemen guys who were all lovely guys, but I just remember feeling not. In, it might have been the Space guys as well. They were all up and coming and about to break. Yeah, and, and I felt, you know, I was always very shy in social situations anyway, and would walk and leave anyway. But I felt like, oh, I'm not in, you know. I can see, I can see these guys are going to be the ones who go ahead, and I'm going to disappear. And I was exactly, I'm very good at predicting things. Yeah. Very good. I should go into predicting. That's what I should do because I always. But it's that mo you know, it's that moment of realizing, and it feels important. But actually, I think again for both. Of it, I mean, yeah, I, you know, I, it's very easy to, um, and I'm the same. I've, I've, there's been various moments. Acast is only one example where I've seen. Nish was a clear example where. And actually, Ron Mesh rang. In fact, the more I think about it, there's been a handful of times in my career where people that were, uh, at the time, lower status than me, where I went to watch their show, championed them for a bit, and then thought, actually, this guy's fine. <laughs> and, uh, not just fine, but, but will inevitably take my place. And it's a weird, again, it's an ego thing. If, if you can remember being, having a relationship with someone where you go, oh, you're very good, keep at it, I reckon you're... And then five years later, you're sort of, hoping you might get to work with them like that is that is a thing you've got to deal with but if you if you stay around long enough like we both have you you've just got to accept there's always going to be people that yeah just do that and, and i think it's fun. it's like, not uh, it's a career path that isn't like most jobs in which case you were doing quite well and you'd move up the ladder it's just 
you know, it does that can happen, but also it, it's brutal. You know, it is. It, I think a lot, a lot of the time, they'll take someone young, and I think that's why it's difficult to cope with. And it's probably why, yeah, we both found it difficult to cope with. Is that you get to a certain point, and then suddenly they pull the rug out, and then you have to. There's no one there going. This is how you get through this. You know, you don't have to worry. You know, you'll find your own way through, as you have done, and I think I did as well. But there's no one there to help you with it. Yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's a, it's a brutal process. With with stuff like with music, um, I often look at people like. It's a bit different because some of these people made enormous money when they were. But sometimes you, you, you hear about you, people like, you remember people like, remember like David Gray who did Babylon and stuff like that, or The, the Darkness, or there were all these, you know, music is even worse than comedy for it where someone has their moment yeah. and then they're gone. But then sometimes you think about them 15 years on and think, I wonder what you do. And when you Google them, the answer is they're, all, they're still just doing it and they're fine. <laughs> yeah. They're just not that famous anymore. But the, the people that like them still like them and they're still pretty happy. It's just that, it's really easy to think, oh, that guy must have had some sort of massive uh, crash and burn situation because you don't... But it's just that music, even more than comedy, is like, it's the same thing, basically. You get a spotlight shone on you for a few years, but then, especially most comedians are doing better work 20 years in than they were five years in because you just get better at doing stuff. Yeah. But it's the same with novels, comedy. Most art forms, basically, you continue to grow as a performer or artist far beyond the point where the industry's still interested in you. So that was the same with a lot of things. I was still a massive REM fan. Years after, people were saying, oh, are they still going? They're like, yeah, they're still going. They've created a beautiful 25-year body of work. But people are like, yeah, but it's a long time since shining happy people. And, uh, but like, so basically, at some point, you have to divorce your idea of what you're making from the expectation that you are still famous for doing it, I think. But again, it's ego, isn't it? It's ego, uh, and, but it's about not, as, as you discuss in this uh, audiobook, it's about not competing with other... If you compete with other people... And again, this is something I've talked about a bit, but when I, when I, when I went to yeah. see uh, Seinfeld, uh, I got invited to watch... I got invited along because the, the people making my DVD were promoting the tour. Like Joe, when so, he did live shows in yeah, London? Yeah, so I got to go... I, I got to sit really in the front and, and then go to the after show, which and I don't really... That never happens. But it was like every comedian oh, in, the, in the country was there more or less, all the big comedians. But they're all kind of looking over the, each other's shoulder at who else was there. Yeah. And then and arguing about who had the best. I thought I had the best seats because I was sitting like five feet away from Jerry Seinfeld. They were all going, I was in this box and this box was better than this. You know, they were all competing. That's, so I mean, even though, and, uh, and Ricky Gervais was the only person who I'd say was happy amongst all those As people. usual. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> but right, you know, he That's was. A rule of thumb for life. He, was, he was at the top of that pecking order, but everyone else seemed just sad. And I was thinking, this is really exciting. This is loads of fun. Yeah. If yeah. you just compete with yourself, or even if you just are happy with what you're doing, trying to do your best. Yeah, I think then, so. Then you, then can, you can find fuel for disappointment yeah. forever if you look at what other people are doing, because uh, a lot. Well, uh, again, I can't remember who it was, but someone said to me quite early on. Um, the thing is, other people are allowed to be talented. And it's true, like, you, you have your moment where you feel like I'm... This is now about me, but it's, it's very difficult to dominate an art form so much that you can actually choke any other talent from coming through. And, but also, you just... You have to ask yourself, and I'm saying this, I'm not very good at it, but you should ask yourself, do I actually... Like, what do I want this for? Am I just... Like, I often see... I was, I've been on Have I Got News For You, I think, three times. And but not for years. And on each of those occasions, I think I did a good job. Like I didn't do anything wrong. I, I, you know. But at a certain point, they just sort of lost interest in booking me. And these days, I'll see the lineups, and like Josh Willicum will be on, or 
um, who I like, by the way, but just like comparable people to me, but a bit younger. And I'll think, ah, oh, what happened? Or have a good, uh, not have a good news. Would I lie to you is another example. I had one of those. It's great. I loved it. I'd love to be on that. But I never, I'll never, I'd probably never get on again. And again, similar comedians to me are. But then you sort of think, I don't even watch Have I Got News For You. What? <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't really know anyone who I'll watches that. I'll tell you what's that. weird about it. Like, well, why am I worrying about this? If you do watch like, Have I Got News For You after a while, which I did, I haven't watched it for about five, or ten, five, six, seven years, and they've, it's really weird because they've got so much older yeah, in that like, time that it's really free because in your brain, st- it's still 2010. Yeah, like, and then you see them now, and, and quite reasonably, they've got older, but... <laughs> It's a bit like Only Fools and Horses where <laughs> Del Boy was like, come on, come on, Rodders. And you're like, mate, you should just be drawing a pension now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they've been so, yeah. for a long time. I would like to is a bit different because I, I do like that show a lot. But even that, I don't really watch it. It's easy to set these things up and think, oh, I can't, I, I can't get this, I can't get that anymore. But then why are you really... It's not that... I mean, of course, it's useful to do TV shows for your career and stuff like that. But it's very easy to look at what other people are up to. And I've seen people... The announced, Netflix announced that some bloke is doing a series, some younger comedian is doing a series where they're like, go around and infiltrate drug cartels in Costa Rica or something. And it, immediately, again, your instinct is like, I could have done that. And then <laughs> after five minutes, you think, yeah, but the thing is, I would have died. I, um, I, I think you have to try and switch off the instinct that's like whatever anyone else is doing. You think, damn it, that could have been me. Because a lot of the time, it either couldn't have been or, or shouldn't have been, or it doesn't yeah. matter. But it's always interesting, like, read, and here, well, having this book read to me by you, because I don't think it, exi- it doesn't exist as no, a book, it's right? purely it's an audio purely book. Yeah. An audiobook. Um, is, you know, my perspective of you would always be that you were really doing very well, that you were very creative, you were creating these 24-hour shows, these amazing Edinburgh shows, and you were also doing do you wanted. Having talked to you, I knew that, you know, sometimes you would do something more commercial in order to fund your other projects. But it seemed to me how you would... Complete sort of, we shared a tour manager, so that was the only reason I knew that's that, right, yeah, because he was touring with both of us and we were both slightly disappointed about how things were going on our tour. Maybe he was the problem, yeah, I think it probably maybe, was. Maybe it's Giles, that's, that's, that's why it really resonates. Nearly everything is happening. I think I was feeling slow, I was feeling better than you because I was every year I was progressing but very, very slowly, yeah. But, but, but it's, it's, it, you know, it's sort of weird to me that you would, that you would. A, care about most of the things that you're, <laughs> you're talking about, but also it felt like your career was going really, really well from my perspective. Which I, is, I think fun. it's because I was part of a collective of... Well, actually, collective is not the right word. That implies that we were all sort of on the same team. But, I, you know, as contemporary of people like... Um, I suppose Russell Howard, Jason Manford, um, and even Russell Kane, and, like, I, I came up alongside various comedian Rod Gilbert I suppose again so like and even Greg Davis actually who, who was so and I, I all of those people have become sort of more house I suppose there was a there was and even McIntyre actually I mentioned this in the audio book yeah. I did loads of like club gigs with Michael McIntyre and I, I talked in the in the audio book about this particular drive home where we played both of us have played and I always thought Mac, and I still do think he's really good by the way this is not but we played in front of about 40 people and both of us had, had a great gig and we were talking on the way home about what we're going to do because th- these gigs are quite depressing. We both think we're maybe better than this. And, and he said something like, I know I'm going to be, in, in a few years, I'll be 
beyond this, I'll be, I'm going to be big. I, and he wasn't really saying it boastfully. He was just one of these people that, you know, visualizes a thing and is totally, and, and then like five years after that, he was the biggest comedian in the country. Russell was huge. Uh, Manford, I, I just basically, if I'd, if I'd come through in more normal circumstances, I think I'd be very satisfied. Um, and, I, and in a, way, a lot of ways I am, because a lot of the projects I've done and continue to do are things which those people aren't interested in and they're not writing novels and so it's not fair to compare myself to. It's just there was a window early in my career where I was encouraged to see myself as a sort of future millionaire, touring the world type comedian and all those other people uh, are. Yeah. And so you, it's very, very difficult to shrug off the feeling that you did something massively wrong. Yeah, but I don't use it, it, But the thing is, there's only it's a, there's a li little bit of luck in in all of this. So I think doing this podcast and meeting so many comedians and talking to so many comedians, I realise how most. I mean, I choose people I like and who people I think are good and who work hard. <laughs> but they're but they're so everyone's so talented and some of them are known and some of them aren't known and the people so put so much work into it and just sometimes. Someone, you know, there's a there's an element of that. Like, there's only so many places. There might have been nine places at that table, and you were, you know, you, you turned up and you were number ten. You know what I mean? It's, it's my fault for being late. Yeah, you were late. Uh, right? Yeah. So, but I also should have think, set the alarm. I also think it's not. That's you know, I look at it and I think I, I look at TV. I, I, when I was young, I just wanted to be on TV and and yeah, and do sketch shows and do sitcoms or whatever. But TV isn't doesn't even really do those things anymore. So it's it's no, I, it's that's there's, also there's, true. There's sort of nothing that really interests me sometimes I'll do I like Taskmaster now I've done that and and yeah and uh, we all like shows that have booked us I would like yeah I, uh, I would like to do Would I Like You that's the that's the about the only, I think Would I Like You is about the only show that I think I'd, I'd like to do that that's a that's a fun show but there, there's my ambitions about sort of doing those I mean the shows you talk about funnily like the the learn the Learn a driver show you ended up on. I mean, I've done shows like that. Yeah, I did. I rode with Toby Young, and uh, as we discussed last week. Um, but uh, yeah, most of that stuff isn't worth pursuing. No. You just feel like you ought to be. But also, it's kind uh, of like, a waste of your time because you're writing novels and coming up with great shows. No, even if it, even if you'd stuck it out and done that whole driving school show, I know you walked off it. Um, it, no one would have yeah. no one would remember it, and no one would care about. It. I don't remember it, so no, it's, it's most sort people of a, don't. It's care. like a waste of three months of your life, isn't it? It is really, and also if you think about the things that people are doing with their fame, I suppose. I mean, like, and this none of this is to do down anyone because I, these, all these people are people I like. But like, I know Jason Manford does, you know, like records music albums with with like big bands and stuff. I don't have any ambition to do that. Rod, Rod has mostly used his fame and success to like just not work if he can help it. Uh, that, like, again, not a criticism. The guy's brilliant. I love him. But Russell, I suppose I do feel like, yeah, I wouldn't mind being, doing 150-seat like world tours. But yeah, I wouldn't be writing... I, I could only be doing the set of things that I am doing if I... because I'm me, basically. Yeah. So, And if you dig down into that, that's what it is for most people, really. There's no point in looking at what other people are doing because they're not doing the stuff that you would... Like, I've written, whatever it is, seven novels, and I probably wouldn't have done that if I'd been uh, spoon-fed loads of success as a live comic. So if you step away from But, you know, the other thing is, like, 
it's pretty most comics <laughs> look at that and go I would like to write seven <laughs> novels I don't particularly you know people wouldn't necessarily particularly care. I mean it's nicer if yeah they, they I, turn out to be the Harry Potter seven novels that would be <laughs> that would be nicer but yeah you know, it's, it, it's if you're gonna write seven novels those would probably be the ones <laughs> to write yeah um, probably not now I mean because a they've written and b you know uh, I, but, I, yeah, I'm not taking a position on it, but, uh, <laughs> but you're right. And also, like, I feel like, and again, the, the sort of yeah, the, the 24-hour shows and a lot of the weirdest projects I've done, which I'm proudest of, probably could only have come from a place of being a little bit of an underdog figure. Because if someone like, if someone with a huge fan base like Russell did that, you'd, you'd get to be absolutely fair. Too too many mad people. <laughs> like, you, you'd, you, I can sort of. I can only do the things I do because I'm in the niche I am, really. But it's just, I think it's, um, I think probably you can always, I always measure myself against the absolute biggest names in the world. Yeah. And th- or again, like, one, I think with Russell, I think about it quite a lot because both of us from Bristol, similar ages, similar trajectories, and he became hugely successful. But, you know, he did a very many series on Mock the Week and I couldn't, I didn't have the temperament. I wouldn't have done that. And then he did... Uh, Russell has good news where he's doing like topical stuff every week and I couldn't have done that either so really you're not comparable he went off and did the stuff he was meant to do which was that like being on telly a lot and I went off and did things like writing novels and doing weird comedy projects that exactly 200 people care about but they're really into it <laughs> so if, if you if you take some distance from it the thing you end up doing and also I also get to t- I like like you I tour the country as a stand-up, which is actually all I wanted when I started. Yeah. I'm very lucky to be doing this. It's just very hard not to measure yourself against the absolute biggest, most famous people in your field and wonder why that isn't you. But I don't know. I mean, the not book, the book feels like you've sort of... I mean, because it isn't like... It's not that here's my amazing journey through this and now I'm sorted. You're not saying that at all, but it seems like you, you've gone on a journey and sort of realised this that you're sort of saying now but you're still there's still a, an element of you because i've been through that journey and i'm just thinking i'm re- you know i wouldn't be able to have done 90 percent of the stuff i do i wouldn't be able to do and i like all the things i do and so yeah. I mean, this would like, this would if i you know if i if i if my career had gone as i'd hoped it would go i wouldn't have a podcast in which i interviewed comedians in the in a, in a cellar underneath the yeah. pub <laughs> if he's had the career you wanted both of us wouldn't be here right now <laughs> But I, in hindsight, I'm, you know, I, it's, I you know I can compare myself. The people I started with, are, uh, Chris Morris, Steve Cook, and Armando Iannucci. Yeah. There's another guy I forgot the name of. Uh, uh, I've all I, done. I think another all, guy, but I've Rebecca not come across him. Yeah. They've, uh, yeah. they've all done okay. Fuck, so, even that's enough to get an email from me, probably. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this is the thing. If in any generation that you emerge as a comedian, there's going to be contemporaries that become. Yeah. Huge, and some of them will be younger than you and started after you, and you can't, you know. But I, it's, so in, I didn't know that you'd been fired by your manager, which it comes up in the book. So I didn't, yeah. know, I didn't know that. So that that must. So you were being sort of fated as this, as 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 someone who would be doing these big big tours. You did a tour, as I have as well. I have to say, and Lee and Herring certainly did, where we did big big theatres, and ninety people came to. See yeah. The gigs. And I, and, um, I've, and I still do plenty of gigs like that. Uh, but then for your manager to sort of let you go, is that, yeah. must, have been, that must have been a, a, a difficult thing. Yeah, what happened was my agent within the management company left to pursue her own um, things. And uh, I said to the manager, right, well, I, um, I need to have a think about what, 
what to do because, uh, you know, I've been here for, I was pretty much the second or third longest running. I'd been there for eight years. And uh, then she just sent me an email the next day saying, well, um, it's probably time for you to go anyway. And I, it's a weird feeling because you do sort of feel like, as I said in the, in the audio book, you, you are in quite a kind of uh, codependent relationship with your manager. And if they, uh, and she, I, we won't, uh, we won't dish the dirt or talk about names, but she managed two or three very successful people. And so when you're let go by someone like that, you do sort of think, right, well, I'm done now. And um, it, it's also kind of, yeah, again, it's ego. You think, well, who's going to want me? It's like being dumped, yeah. basically. It's the same thing as that. And it is sort of, and I was 32, 33, 33, I suppose, at that sort of point. And you do sort of feel like there's no real, but again, uh, I set up, my partner, I set up a production company. We started touring my own shows, making my own things. Now we work for loads of other people. We, and, and none of that would have happened. So again, most bad things that do happen to you, if, if you have, uh, if you show a bit of kind of fight and come back from it, you do, you do end up weaving better stuff I think you also you almost need that. I think you, to become better at the job, I think you need to have the rug pulled from under your feet. And yes, stuff. and so I'm glad that that happened to me, really. But it was very hard to cope with at the time, and it was very hard to work out, you know, where where we go next, what am I doing next? But I, you know, it, I think like to be like treated like I think to, for a management just company to sort of just acknowledge you're a commodity and yeah. that they don't need any more of you is. Is that's quite, as a 33-year-old, that's quite a hard thing. To yeah, I read the email, and then I went on the company's website, and they'd already taken my photo off. And, um, yeah, I, I don't like to compare my ex-managers to Stalin, but there's still <laughs> um, certain points of comparison there. And um, I, think what they, I think it's something to do with, again, all this is ego, and I wouldn't normally talk about it, but it's like, um, I, at the moment, I'm, I'm um, engaged in a long-running film project, which and there's a, there's a well-known um, actor attached to it, and um, every time we have to do a new draft, I have to do it, uh, deliver it incredibly quickly. Like we've got 48 hours, so I'm like doing staying up all night and doing this and delivering it. But then every time I hit one of those deadlines, um, then they take sort of a month. To, so so for example, I was on holiday just before Christmas, and I had to do like two or three all nights with this other writer who's in Australia, so we're doing it at mad times of the night, and we delivered this script finally, because the whole thing was like, if it, it needs to be now, otherwise this, this opportunity will close, and the fun, all this. And that was December the, I don't know, 14th? And we're chatting here in late January, and absolutely fuck all has happened, uh, <laughs> except that the famous person at the centre of this project has emailed us all saying, I'll get back to you as soon as I can, but um, this uh, January is my downtime. And... Um, <laughs> I think that's, that's, if I could put my finger on it, that's what I'd like. I, I've spent a lot of my life being the guy that you can go to to get something done really quickly, but you don't have to get back to him really quickly. Or I'm the guy that will ask you to collaborate with me, but you'll never, you'll never get back to me and you'll never ask me. So that's what I want, I think. I'd like to be at one level or t well, however many rungs up it is where I get to be a bit of a dick to people. I, um, basically. It'd be nice, you know, I, I, it's... it's as I, you and I have both experiences where you work very hard on something and you, everyone says it's good and everyone says it's the best thing they've ever seen except the people deciding to put it on the TV. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't get on the TV. And that's sort of that heartbreaking thing. So, you know, it would be nice to be the position where you just, whatever you come up with, even if it's Derek, it goes on the TV. <laughs> 
I'm going to distance myself from those comments just in case I um but yeah, that's that's. Yeah, but if that's a, it's a, it's a, actually, if we're being completely honest about it, that's probably that's probably what I would. That's probably why I'm jealous of people with a bigger reputation. It's not because I want to be doing like the O2 or something like that. It's because um, I, I've got such like you such a wide range of artistic ambitions that I'd love to be. I'd love to have a standing where, I could, where I'd be taken seriously whatever I proposed. And there's only a few people in that category. Yeah. But nonetheless, we all know who these people are. And most of them don't want to do that much uh, apart from, you know. So, yeah, that, I think that's what it is. I yeah. feel like I'd be great in a situation where I was already famous, so you would just let me do stuff, rather than <laughs> I'm still hanging on in there for Mark Watson's big clean, which, um, <laughs> which I must say, again, seems a long way away from happening. <laughs> But again, you've got to be positive, haven't you? We we we're not exactly doing badly. No, but that's what I mean. I think you know you would. I think any, anyone else would. It's definitely very difficult to look at yourself objectively. I think I've got to the point where I am genuinely happy about where my life is. Uh, in you know, in my family life and my work life, and uh, I'd like to have two testicles. Uh, but apart from it's, apart, it's from hard that, to see how yeah. you can get back to that. It is. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying very hard. I'm trying very hard, but nothing's nothing. It's, uh, it's a classic case of, to paraphrase a football phrase, you, you, you can't. Well, <laughs> in football they say you can't win the league before Christmas, but you can lose it. Your situation is like you, yeah. you can't get any more testicles, but you can lose them. Yeah, exactly. basically, like you're not going to, back to two, but you could go down to it zero. Is, so, very yeah, much yeah, on my mind. Like, Hope not, um, though. You're doing no, all right with one, obviously. I yeah. I, do, Does it, I mean, it doesn't seem to be materially affecting you that much from just following your tweets and stuff. You yeah. seem, you seem like. No, it's been the... good. So far. it's been really good. It's been uh, the best thing that's happened to me so far. But yeah. Yeah. If, if another one goes, I think that will be. You less seem like funny. one of the happiest uni testicle people that I've come across. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, um, but I, yeah, imagine. But again, none, well, none... it's sort of about being. But it's again, I think it was one of those things that happens to you, and you, and you. I'm writing a book about it at the moment, so I'm kind of this is my top of mind. So, but. Uh. but but when I when so like when it when I first went in, the doctor said it was uh, it was almost certainly not cancer, and said it was he had, he told me what it was, and it was going to be fine. Right. And I left feeling very happy, but also slightly disappointed that I wouldn't get to write the stand-up show. About yeah. It. So you know. So so you know, careful what you wish for, but also it is one of that. But the the thing that I realised from it was that I'd want to be alive more than anything else because I, I thought I, I was going to die. No, I think fair enough. Yeah. yeah and I think. Nonetheless, you've got a right to feel aggrieved. In terms of things that can give you a show, you'd rather just uh, have a, a cashier challenge you on how much yogurt you've got, <laughs> I, I, rather than lose one of your organs or whatever a testicle is. I think. But I think it's... But it's <laughs> about... It's your about career to... trajectory... Like, <laughs> too much yogurt, got a show about that. <laughs> Weird moustache, got a show about that. Cancer! <laughs> like, it's... Did, was there a point you thought you'd die? Like, yeah, or, or, yeah. Or like... Well, I bet, you know, also, there's no, there's no, you know, I, jo I sort of joke about, yeah, I'm cancer-free, and I've beaten it, it's fine. There's no, you know. I suppose not. No, there's no always... escape from it, because so, you know it can always come back. So yeah. it's, so... But, but if it comes back, does it come back in your, in your balls again? Uh, well, yeah, possibly. So, Hopefully I mean... not, because of the, I had chemotherapy, but there's, so like, there's one in 20 chance of it coming back. Right. Which, you suddenly go... That's quite, you think, oh, that's good. It was one in four if I didn't have chemotherapy, one in 20 if I yeah. did have chemotherapy. And you go, oh, one in 20. But it's still one out of every 20 people who get this. That's probably one a day who go through the door of my oncology, isn't it? So Yeah. So I, remember, um, I, I was quite late on to this because I remember texting you going, fuck, have you had cancer? Because I, I didn't, I, for whatever reason, I didn't know what you were talking about. And then I remember, 
And you were doing tweets going, I've only got one bollock these days, and I thought, this is one of these things Herring's doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this will be like his thing about Women's Day or, or something. And, um, and I put the pieces together and thought, fuck me, he has got cancer. And so that's why I had to tweet you about three months late, going, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that must be... Um, the realisation that you want to live more than, you know... Well, it's that... sort of, but it's again about your, but the, the death book, because you talk about... Um... You know, not you equally not wanting to die, which none of us do want to do for a little while. But I, I also sort of... I mean, I did a show about death. And yeah, I, you've done that and as well. I think, but I think... Um, Is it called We're All Gonna Die? Yeah, it? we're all gonna yeah. die. So, you know, again, it's like I'm a, pro I'm a prophet. How did I know? Um, but I feel like dying is actually the thing that makes life worthwhile, right? I think the, the threat of death, without that, there'd be no... I don't think you'd love anyone if without... Because it's what really makes you love someone is the fear of losing them. Right? Yeah, I acknowledge this in the audiobook. Yeah. I'm very scared of death, and it is true. People, the, the best, I've heard loads of quite bad arguments against that fear. Like you won't do anything about it, or cause, no, but yeah, as I did write in the book, the one argument I, you can sort of take on board is, yeah, death makes life meaningful. It's just I reckon it'd be good if it was, to now like 400 years or something. <laughs> like I, I, I accept death eventually, but I don't think it should be that. I think you'll always so. want a bit more. That's you'll always that, want I mean, a bit not more. Not everyone, but I think most people will always want a bit more. And it was, if it comes to, well, it's, it's now, we're gonna, it's going to happen now, you go, can I have a little bit more? I think there'll always be that. I would have thought but, so, um, yeah. I've got a thing in my, my current show is sort of about life expectancy and death. And there's a thing where I calculate someone's life expectancy using an app. And um, on Friday night I did it, and I... Uh, you ask a series of questions and, and it turned out this woman was going to live to 82 and she went, oh. and, uh, not as in that's not enough, as in, fuck, that's a bit of a ball, eh? And I, I'm like, yeah, that's Choose it. your that's words it. carefully. That's it. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I forgot you, do, you don't know what that's like anymore. Yeah, I reckon most people, most people go thinking, Christ, I would have loved 10 more years or yeah. something. If not, then, I don't know. I mean... Sometimes, I don't know, it depends who you are, isn't it? Sometimes you read articles by people that are nearly always The Guardian, long read, and they're dying of cancer or they're dying of something and they're 30. And there's this beautifully nuanced thing saying, even though my life is very short, I'm very grateful to have had it and it's been a great life. And I was really moving, but you always think, yeah, but like if I was dying tomorrow, I wouldn't write a piece like that. I'd just write an article going, fuck! I, um, I don't understand how people treat the idea of death with so much uh, equanimity, really. I but. think just, wet, but it's, you go, I went through so much with it, and, 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 but very quickly. Yeah. So I was, you know, I was I really, because also they didn't tell me for ages that most people survive testicular cancer, so I really thought. It's a good cancer. Yeah, time, it, it is. But the, <laughs> not doctors, the it. doctor sounded scared and wouldn't say the word cancer, which I think they're not meant to say. Mm. But it just makes you think, fuck, I'm going to like die tomorrow. If you, then, if you sense that a doctor's not saying something, yeah, that's yeah. definitely worse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, but, you know, but I went through it and, and came out the positive side of it. You know, it, it's, so like it's a year on. If, if I, you know, there's a part of me that thought I was going to die a year ago. And yeah. so that's an extra year already. It's different having, I've got small children and that's the, that's the real kicker about it. But, you know, it's, um, yeah, it is. Every, everything else is, you it, can sort of justify it in your mind and, get to the point where you think, well, you know, yeah, I could have had another 25 years, but... A lot of it is, yeah, there's no doubt about it. I didn't think I'd become this person, but certainly with the kids. I mean, my kids are... Well, I had my first one when I was 30, so you think, yeah, if I should die at 70, then the boy would be 40, but that's not even as old as I am now. Yeah. And I'd very much at least like to see him get to this, because I still feel I've got a fair bit. So it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. You, um, 
But there's going to be a point that you you know you think, well, I wouldn't leave my kids now. But there's going to be a point where <laughs> hopefully you die before your kids, Mark. I really hope that. I'm pl- fingers I, crossed. <laughs> but you know, I, you hope one hopes that you will die well, before you, your you, own kids. You are you are meant to hope yeah. that, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> no, you're right. You do. Uh, but there's I, a there's a point where the however far you go, there's going to be a point you're checking out and not seeing the whole thing. Of course, th- th- that's you have to you have to. I've just remembered a bit in the. Um, the Simpsons, I think it must be, where Homer Simpson's dad is saying, they say that it's the greatest tragedy to bury your own son, but I, I can see the plus side. <laughs> or uh, something like that. But you're, you, yeah, you're right. You, and even if it wasn't your kids, it would be your grandkids. Or you, you yeah. have to accept that you're not seeing, you're going to miss some, port, uh, some part of the whole story. Yeah. yeah. And I find that very difficult because your curiosity about what's ahead never really dims, does it? No. Like, I... I the idea that there'll be a, a film released the day after you die or there'll still be football the day, or whatever it is that you're into, there's going to be some that you miss and you can't... Yeah, that does my head in. You've got, you've got to... I'd like... I'd just as a football fan, I'd at least like to die... Be, well, I don't know. Between June and August. But even then, it still can't be a World Cup year. So I, I've got to die in the summer of an odd-numbered year. Which, and Yeah, I think I reckon I will, whatever... It, Whatever happens, I reckon I will die thinking, shit, I'm going to miss whatever it is. Yeah. I, I, but that's good in a way, I suppose, because, as you say, that lust for stuff is what makes your actual life meaningful. If you died thinking, ah, I'm done, fuck it, I've had enough, then that's, that's not a good outcome either, is no. it? You know, terrible as it is, you'd rather die still wanting more, I think, the, 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 the absolute sweet spot is you're 89 and you've got your grandkids and it's lovely and you live in Lake Como or something and you just nod <laughs> off to sleep one day and it's all over. Yeah. Don't think about it. But that's not most people. Most people, I'm sure, die thinking, ah, fuck it. And that's just how it is. So, yeah. the, you know, yeah. But also, once you've been under general anaesthetic, I think that's sort of, that's what death is, right? I think yeah, although just, that's not how they taught you through it. <laughs> <No>, but... <laughs> But you now, know, sometimes you, no, you feel a sharp scratch, <laughs> and it will be just like the tomb. <laughs> but basically, you don't go anywhere. You know, you just you, you're knocked out, and then you wake up. Yeah, it's but that. there's a there's a there's a time there. There's an hour of your life disappears, and you don't you're not aware of it. It's that. And if they don't wake you longer, up, if they don't right. wake you up, you're in that position. Forever. You're absolutely right, and that's why most people aren't scared of death because you can visualise it as just a general anaesthetic, but just. That you don't that you don't come back and there's nothing yeah. yeah but I do find that quite a frightening thought but again like yeah I don't know Ricky Gervais interests me you mentioned him briefly but he always says like he's always tweeting going you know death life is meaningless and death comes and that's great and that's all fine <laughs> and I'm like I don't know if I was one of the most famous rich people in the world I I wouldn't be doing that <laughs> I'd be like. Fuck me! How can I get another century of this? I um, I'd be lopping my head off and putting in one of those tanks. I reckon. I um, some people are just wired to not care about yeah. anything beyond your immediate circumstances, but that's not me. Well, Jeff Bezos is trying to create a kind of way to prolong youth, so he's he's putting money into the gene technology that will make mean we have longer life, but also more of it is as being a young person. So if yeah. you had Jeff Bezos's money, would that be where? You'd be spending some of it. Well, I, I did actually get. Uh, I don't think I've spoken about this before, but I did get really interested in cryonics in the, in my early twenties. Not as in I would do it, but I just I did loads of research into it. I was going to write a 
book about it and I looked into because of course like, even though it seems like a sort of sci-fi thing and there are hundreds of people who do even in this country who do get themselves frozen in the hope of being reanimated in and I think if that technology I mean if I had loads if I had Bezos money I probably would put some of it into research into whether we can reverse I suppose aging or something or like because I do think that stuff is interesting but at the end of the day you've got to accept really if you were reanimated 300 years later you you're probably in all sorts of trouble <laughs> you, uh, i reckon having researched it a bit i do think the technology could like could work like eventually we'll probably be able to uh cryopreserve bodies using you know and bring them back to life in but yeah imagine waking up in 200 years and no one you know everyone have to do it yeah you couldn't wake up and be like, oh, I can't wait to see Alan. Oh, yeah, Alan's been dead two <laughs> centuries. I, um, so that's the philosophical problem. I reckon biologically we'll eventually be able to transcend the death of the body, but unless all your mates and your loved ones are doing it, then it's just a more lonely future, isn't it? Yeah. So I reckon if I was Bezos, I'd put some money into it. But to be fair, I think I'd put most of my money into initiatives to make life better for people who are currently here now. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'd... I try and stop people from sleeping on the street and stuff like that. Sure. Probably, yeah. Again, though, Bezos is Bezos. <laughs> he, um, he's. It's sort of. It's hard to believe. You know, I I really like the idea of becoming a billionaire for a few reasons, but one of them is just because what you could, you know, even if you just said I'm going to spend half a billion, and I'm going, I'll keep half a billion for me to buy penny chews with and stuff just try Ferrero Rocher yeah. and stuff yeah, yeah. yeah. But get... or like sometimes you don't want the meal deal because one of the items isn't on there you just get it anyway uh, that would be nice I think but to be able to just do stuff with I mean I know a lot of them do but just to be able to in the position where you could go I can go to my hometown and just give everyone gold it's interesting isn't it? yeah I mean yeah. I do loads of stuff like that, but you know, but also I know, help, help people. I, I do well. think about it quite a lot. Like Bill Gates has all these charitable foundations and stuff like that. But for every Bill Gates, and Gates gets quite a lot of shit for people, but yeah, there's uh, several hundred people in that category of wealth that just don't. It must be tempting if you've got more money than you could ever need. It, it must be quite tempting to spend just like one billion on, I don't know. There's this, as people here will know, there's a Twitter account that is called. Um, something like has Jeff Bezos ended world hunger today and every day it just tweets nope and um, it can't be that simple but still he, he, if you've got the button in your hand that you could press and I know it's not that simple because of course if you gave 20 million pounds to some foundation or if you, whatever you do there's going to be ways it can be corrupted or it's not as simple as if I'm a billionaire I can throw money at this problem and it goes away but at the same time it's it doesn't hurt, does it? No. Like, I, I definitely think if I was a billionaire, I'd spend most of my time, yeah, just giving it to people and see what happens. Because <laughs> it's not as if, like, what's the point of it all? All you see him doing is just on Twitter with a shirt on that you could pretty much have just got from Zara. <laughs> like, um, and he's by a swimming pool and you think, yeah. all right, you're rich. But I mean, if you're that rich, you could have everything you want in the world and you still could you could palpably improve the lives of tens of thousands of people. It's interesting what the thought process is. Yeah. I just don't know because I don't know what it's like being him or Elon Musk and stuff. And I'm sure they're all doing stuff uh, like behind the curtain as well. But yeah, it is weird. But it's you weird know, you there could are people just who, go yeah. down the street and give someone 10, they say, here's 10,000 pounds. Do what you want with it. 
You could just do stuff like that and it wouldn't matter because you've made £10,000 in interest in the time it's taking you to walk down the street. In the time, it, during the conversation yeah. you made that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it must be that you fear that if you, if you set a precedent for doing that, everyone's asking you for it. But still, it'd be worth, like... I mean, everyone's going to ask. Isn't it? Gonna have, I'll bloody ask him for ten grand. I imagine oh, so. Oh, shit, I should have asked for more. <laughs> it's got loads. If Bezos walked in here, we'd all make a case. <laughs> I reckon, yeah. Yeah, I can only think that at a certain level of wealth, you become so paranoid that everyone wants something from you that you don't even enter into these conversations. But, like, I think I would just give my old school loads of money. Or just, there's loads well, of stuff. Wouldn't it be cool like, just to go to, I'd go to Cheddar and say, I'm going to pay everyone's county council tax for the next 15 years. <laughs> and it'll probably be millions of pounds, but I've got, I've got a billion pounds. A million's nothing. Yeah, there was once a time, I'm not saying this to look like a good guy, because this is pretty minor, but there was once a time I got uh, unexpected 200 quid from some <laughs> job or something that I'd forgotten I'd done the job and I got paid and I just went on Twitter and uh, just gave a tenner each to loads of different like just give because every day on Twitter on the internet you see dozens of worthwhile causes yeah. so I just anonymously put a tenner in loads of these accounts um, and it felt really good and I didn't need the 200 pounds because I hadn't expected that I had it it was like free money but yeah if you're Bezos <laughs> That'd be you putting a million quid into it. Like, imagine just being Bezos and going around the Just Givings and someone's trying to, or someone's just trying to crowdsource for their knitting project and they like, stick a fucking billion quid in there. I, uh, it would be pretty tempting. But even imagine seeing someone asking for, uh, they need 300 grand to get this very unusual surgery in California. If you knew you could do that, so no, I reckon you'd do it. George Michael did it, didn't he? Yeah. He just anonymously did all this stuff. I reckon, again, there's no point in criticising the, the deeds of people like Elon Musk because I don't know anything about the guy. But I reckon if you had enough money that it was unrealistic you could ever run out of money, you could just spend a day on the internet and like finding a hundred things that you could give a life-changing amount to and it still wouldn't impact on you at all. Yeah. If you're in the position where... In, your income, as you say, grows exponentially, or whatever the phrase is, every day. Yeah, it must be, it must be tempting to do that. But like, it's the same thing as comedians looking at other comedians. If they're looking at other billionaires and going, well, he's got 100 billion, if I give away 1 billion, I'm not, I, I, I won't be the most rich man in the world. Yeah, I'll be, I'll, I've slid down the rich yeah. list. Yeah, I suppose. It's interesting. It's a, it's a weird thing. And we could all do it to some extent. Like you say, we could all do yeah. it to some extent. I could go and give 200 pounds to loads of different just giving things. I'm not going to fucking do it. Yeah. <laughs> I only keep because I got an unexpected 200 pounds. <laughs> yeah, I'm keeping it. Yeah. So it's, it's only just that's the thing, isn't it? Just you get, you get richer, and we're both richer than we probably thought we would be 25 years ago. And yeah, I could do that once a yeah. month, probably, yeah. and I wouldn't, but I don't do it. So that's the thing. Yeah. Exactly. So it's presumably it's the same thing. If you're Bezos, you could give a billion quid away, but you just. <laughs> don't because to you a billion quid is like a grand or something yeah. so I don't it's know grand. it's a lot of money it, yeah, it's yeah. W but it's weird isn't it yeah except you and I both know what it's like to pay a mortgage and pay for stuff for kids and stuff. And there must be a point of super wealth where you literally you could never be worried about Bezos isn't at a cash point thinking I hope this gets approved <laughs> so, um, you know Bezos is not scanning his card and thinking Oh my God. So there must be a point of, of wealth where you are absolutely disengaged from the worry of whether you have enough money for the rest of your life. Yeah. And then, like, you've got to be thinking... You get through the bits where you're like, I'm just going to 
buy hungry hippos and make them have it all as my face. <laughs> and like, um, that, I mean, that's my first port yeah, of call, I think. Sure. Yeah. I, um, but you could just do pranks and stuff with them. I mean, that, you could just do stupid things with the money. You'd have so much money, you could do funny things, you could do things that are wasteful, you could do things that were generous to the wrong people. <laughs> you, could, oh, you could do anything, yeah. yeah. You, could just, you could just pay everyone in Chile to stand on one leg for a bit. Yeah. Like, and, um, <laughs> you probably wouldn't, but you could, yeah, do. you could do. I suppose you're leaving it to your kids, you're leaving it to your, Who knows what people are doing with their money? But, but I do think there's a point of wealth where you should be doing more pranks with it, definitely. <laughs> more pranks, yeah. definitely more pranks. Um, I, I was also, I've listened, I, I, I love that, so Eight Deaths is, uh, if you uh, with Audible, you get, that's just free with Audible. Is that the only way to get it, or can you buy it as well? I'm hoping it might become a, an actual book, like a print book. Yeah. You can buy it, but nearly everyone gets it by just, I don't really know how Audible works, but you just, you just basically get yeah. it, yeah. <laughs> but, you can, but you can join Audible for free, and then you could download it and yeah it. so for the point of view of monetizing it i'm up against it yeah because uh, there's absolutely no reason for anyone to pay money for I it i hope they paid you in advance for it but they i was did, also to be fair, yeah. <laughs> not <laughs> loads but enough that i can yeah but you've also had a, a a new novel your new novel your seventh novel i'm guessing unless there's been one since of uh, which i was listening to on the way here uh, contacts which is a great idea yeah for, that's a while ago now so it, yeah, yeah there's another seems... novel coming hopefully yeah, but okay. yeah um it's, yeah it's, it's a great idea for i mean it's about death again yeah. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> but it's a nice well, it's idea. Sort of is, yeah. So, what, so tell us the, what tell us what the idea for what the. Well, it's about is. a guy who uh, of our well, not ours, my sort of age, early forties, who sends no no offence, of course, but um, it is factual. You're, you're a survivor. Um, <laughs> who uh, writes uh, a text to his whole phone book, uh, announcing that he's going to kill himself, and. The, the book charts the attempts of all of his loved ones to talk him down, but he's on a train, the sleeper train, in fact, from London to Edinburgh. Um, and in fact, a bit of trivia, I went on the sleeper train um, to Edinburgh the night that the, the book is set, so March 8th, which I think is, I think it is pretty close to International Women's Day. Yes. Because I seem to remember that that night, I stayed up all night <laughs> taking notes on what the trend was like and stuff, and I was looking at you doing your, your <laughs> okay. stuff on Twitter. Is it March the 9th? Or? Uh, March the 8th. I March the 8th. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not an expert on International Women's Day. <laughs> I know, of course you're I know, I can tell you when You've never claimed to be. Yeah. yeah. So it's set on the night that Richard does his thing. <laughs> and um, yes, the book basically... So it's about... It's, the, the, the action of the book is uh, the guy's um, ex-partner and sister and mum and all these people trying to text him and uh, talk him down from this position. And it, so it's sort of about how we all connect uh, kind of virtually in this day and age and how you, you've always got connections with people that you don't realise and uh, that sort of thing. Um, in a way, the idea is slightly out of date already because uh, it was inspired by years ago when you had a Nokia phone, you could send a text to your whole, f and you actually still see it. You still get a text at Christmas that says, happy Christmas, you've made my year so much better, blah, blah, blah. And then when you look at it, it has gone to 175 people. But I, years ago, I thought, what would happen if you sent a text as dramatic as that mm -hmm. to your entire phone, but what would? And so the book is sort of about the chaos that is unleashed when someone does this, but it's also kind of about how much we owe, how much responsibility we owe to each other, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's a, it's a really neat, concept um it reminds me a little bit of a book i didn't like <laughs> and i like your book so i'm always i'm always looking for those sort um, of testimonies yeah I, well, uh, 
Uh, have, you re- have you read The Midnight Library by... Matt Haig? Matt Haig, yeah. Yeah, I have, yeah. Because another way that I make myself feel better about myself is just reading <laughs> authors who are doing the same sort of thing as me, but they've got a thousand times as many readers. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's very much like... A, 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 well, it's sort of in the same ballpark as... I've, yes, a, that's a, about a, a suicidal person who... Of like, your idea and my idea, one of my ideas as well. So that's part of the reason I... But I don't like The Midnight Library because it's about you know, multiple universes and an infinite amount of stuff can happen. Yes. But every time she... So she could go to just... The, every time she goes somewhere, it's not as good as her, the life she's got at the moment. But she could go to the versions of it where it's better than the life she... And she never, go, she never really goes. She goes to Australia. Huge spoilers here, by the way. She, go, <laughs> but, um, she yeah. goes to Australia and her friend dies in Australia. But in an infinite number of timelines, her friend doesn't die in Australia, so don't go to the one where your friend dies. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to tell Matt Haig or me? Yeah, I'm going to give him a ring. <laughs> oh, and I'm very pernickety about uh, alternate universes and timelines and stuff. Luckily, yours isn't about time travel, no, so you're but... okay. <laughs> it's all happening in, in a day, so I'm, yes, I that, don't have a problem. Matt Haig's book is about a person who's sort of suicidal and they, they get to a place with, where they can live out an infinite number of other universes and lifespan that they could have lived in, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is a challenge. Yeah, my one is just about a guy who um, has had enough and it's about people trying to convince him that his life is still worth it, but none of them can get hold of him on the phone because he's on a sleeper train, he's put his phone on airplane mode. So the most of the book takes place through, yeah, texts yeah. and fruitless texts and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think it's because... Um, I mean, the book's about how you, there's a general assumption that social media and phones and all of these things are bad for us and have driven us further apart because we don't spend enough time having real relationships. But this book is about how actually, if you've got a phone in your pocket with everyone's number that you've ever met, you could, you have a sort of daily possibility to enrich, uh, in, well, enrich isn't quite the word, but um, <laughs> we'll sort of hope for enrich in the end, um, those people's lives. And I, like, I think... I'm not really a tech person, but I think it's obvious that more tech contact with everybody means more chance to be sort of together. We just not we just don't necessarily exploit that. Yeah. So yeah. the book is about um, in a world where we're all potentially quite lonely, can you use phones and the internet and stuff to actually become less lonely? Which I don't think I've seen that written, but that's why I wrote it. Most things I've seen stuff like Black Mirror, which is amazing by the way, but most stuff you see about the way that tech is accelerating, it, the the basic premise is this is this is bad, and I think it's good. I think it's good we've all got phones and WhatsApp and even Twitter. All these things that people routinely say are all these things drive people mad. That you like, they're only as good or bad as we are. The Twitter's the most amazing tool in the world. It, it, it connects everyone that's, that exists with everyone else, and it is just most of the time we just use it for absolute bullshit yeah. we just use it to put a, like a picture up of Michael Favreau for example <laughs> and uh, but we've turned his hair into a cottage pie and um, or someone tweets a thing saying I didn't really like Home Alone 2 and then 58 people text them going you should die then but like, um, because uh, unfortunately the way we use the tool of uh, infinite exchange of ideas is basically to fight one another. But I think the principle of Twitter and even Facebook and all these things is absolutely amazing. You can potentially contact and share stuff with anyone in the world. I don't think we should completely lose sight of that, basically. It's, and you would think, and I'm sure they did think when the internet began, 
that it would be like an amazing positive thing where yeah. an idea could I mean it should be revolutionary in the sense that everyone in the world could contact everyone in the world which means everyone in the world could sort of rise up simultaneously and go this isn't this world isn't right we should change it like this you know we, Absolutely. that exchange of ideas and maybe that will happen maybe it will but this is the thing if you, if I'd been told when I was 16 17 that you'd have yeah a phone and not just a phone but a potential link on three or four different uh, channels to everyone you've ever met, everyone you'd like or know, but also a theoretical contact with anyone in the world, I think we, we must be living in a much better world then. <laughs> and the fact that we're not is a sort of indictment of how we use it, I think. Of course it's inevitable. Of course there's always going to be uh, loads of dicks. But I do think that people are always talk about... And it was also true, uh, true that Twitter is quite poorly policed by Twitter. Lots of shit goes down. Like, all of these platforms could be better monitored. But it's not a bad thing that Twitter or Facebook exist. It's just that we're not, we could be using them to change each other's lives and we just don't do that that much, I think. Yeah. I, it's so easy to say, oh, now we've all got phones, we don't properly connect. But it's obviously bollocks. These days you can talk to, if, you're, if your mate is in Brazil, you can chat to them and you used to have to write them a letter. So that's got to be better. <laughs> but we haven't got better at connecting with other humans in proportion with the way the text got better. I think that's all it is. Well, I think that's true. And I, I remember touring before social media and how, you know, having a bad tour before social media. And really, I mean, yeah, there was the, phones, you could text people, but you were generally sat in a bar on your own feeling sad. And, yeah, and, and the, now the social media, you can sit in a bar and chat to people about something else that isn't to do with you feeling good or bad about your gig as well. So. Yeah, and if you wanted, if you were hoping to boost, uh, boost your sales in that area, you could... I mean, now you can at least tweet going, right, no one came tonight in Swindon, please come tomorrow. And you'll get some people in the 90s, you, you're just writing a letter to everyone on your mailing there <laughs> saying, it's unlikely, but if you can find your way to Wiltshire uh, tomorrow. I, I think with most technology, I know that there's, there's exceptions like the nuclear bomb, but with most tech, it's futile to say, we should never have invented this. You should say, now we have invented this, what, what could we do with it that's positive, I think. Well, you know, we're right at the beginning. You know, if it's an age, if there's an internet age or a computer age, we're right at the beginning of it. And so, like, in historical terms, we're like, it's day one, really. Yeah, we're so, the cavemen. Yeah, yeah. In 200 years, people will be shit hot at WhatsApp. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really, wow. It'll be amazing. Um, Even your mum will be good at it. <laughs> uh, and she'll still be alive with her head in her tank. <laughs> <laughs> or she'll have uploaded all her data onto the, well that's, you know, what, that's like, what Musk Elon Musk is trying to get us to be able to download our memories into and put them into other people and stuff I think yeah my son was telling me who's 11 was telling me about this today classic case of a kid talking at you and you're like eat this banana you haven't had your, you haven't eaten and he's like yeah did you know Elon Musk is getting a chip in his brain <laughs> and uh, that's interesting but you still need, you must eat the banana and but uh, yeah Musk's thing is the chip goes in and then they can put anything... Any, they, can, like, they can download the memories, I think you put the memories... I mean, that's... I mean, it's Total Recall, isn't it? It's going to be good. <laughs> I can't remember and nothing bad happens in Total Recall. I think it's all just... No, any film up. where you see where some of this happens, it always ends well, yeah. <laughs> it I, does. But no, it's true about li literature and technology is always... It's the worst thing. It's the thing that will go wrong with the... With the and actually, yeah. technology is massively, and all the and vaccines and medicine has improved the world in this incredible way. Yeah, it's human nature yeah. to look at what could go wrong and be scared of change and stuff. But yeah, most technology is good news. Basically, yeah. it's just we can always see. And 
But the reason it always goes wrong is because we always do stupid stuff with it. Yeah, yeah. but we do stupid stuff with everything. Yeah, we we'll do, do stupid stuff anyway. You could, you could hit someone with a book. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Is that how this ends? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's Contacts, which you, you beautifully read uh, in audiobook yourself. I did actually read yeah. it, yeah. yeah. it was good. I'm, listen, I'm, listen, I'm going to listen to the rest of it. Well, not the rest of it in the car journey home, but the next hour in the car journey home. That's nice, I'm, about to, I'm a couple of hours into it. It's very good. I enjoy reading it. It's quite fun reading your own yeah. book, isn't it? So, I feel, yeah. and I might try, I keep saying this and then not doing it, but I feel you should do the audiobook before you hand in the final book. Right. Because every time you read it, you go, oh, that bit was shit. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you correct it, and it's too late to correct the book. I had a lot so of moments you... reading the audio book where I would get to a paragraph <laughs> and like, read a specific word and think, what? That's shit. Yeah. But yeah, if, if you're listening to it and you hear the author say, and he carried it all the way to, that's shit, then you, you do lose faith in it yeah. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Maybe the alternative, you could just read your own book to yourself, before, but you don't do that. You don't read your book out. But being forced to read your book out is quite a good good thing to do. There are authors who apparently do that, who they, they you know, if there's dialogue in the novel, they actually sit in, in their house and right. read it. The, plenty of authors will say, read your whole novel out to yourself out loud before you. But I mean, that's that's a weird thing to do. <laughs> I, I think I think you've got for a start, no one else can live in the house with you. But even if they don't, imagine that. Yeah. At just, least tape it so it can be in the audio book. Yeah. Use yeah, your yeah. time. Just do the audio book yourself. Then you then you know. Um, anyway, that's that's. I'm very much enjoying that. I think the eight deaths is it's it's lovely because it's self-deprecating, but it's honest and it's um, you know, it takes takes you through. I mean, I love the thing about going on your book event, all full of hope, in your first book event, and thinking lots of people are going to come when they nobody comes to those things. Well, four people, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was in air in the west of Scotland, and it took me eight hours to get there. It's absolutely hours to get back. insane yeah. that they sent you to air. It was really absolutely yeah. Absolutely insane to send a new new author to air they should have known the but again it's one of those things you do a lot of this in your career where someone says do you want to do this gig which sounds awful and won't pay and you think yeah but they must know what they're doing and then yeah yeah a good not just in, in comedy or entertainment a good lesson is i think in life if someone encourages you to do something and it's sound, and your gut feeling is like oh no i don't think so don't trust the person go, <laughs> go with your gut feeling yeah. i've done so many terrible things in my career because i thought oh, i don't know that sounds terrible and someone said honestly this will be great and then when it is terrible, you think, well, that's a sort of bittersweet victory. <laughs> uh, um, but, and you're on tour with This, this Can't Be It. Uh, yes, and, and, and the, that tour is, is kind of almost infinite because okay. there were so many shows rescheduled. For, the, it goes through to at least October. Oh, okay, great. I mean, you sort of can't... If you've got any interest in watching it, you, you, there's n you wouldn't be able to miss it. <laughs> you... Um, <laughs> If you Google me, you see, you'll see such an intimidating list of shows. You, like it'd be, it would be, you'd have to make a proper effort to. Even if you don't want to come to it, I will one day be in your room. Like, that's how many tour shows there are. Good. Well, will, everyone must go and see that. Uh, and free, free book on Audible. And you, <laughs> yeah. can, you can pay. Well, you can join. Audible. You can pay for it, but you probably don't need to. Join Audible. Yeah. You get the free book for free. Download uh, contacts for free. Then leave Audible. And then Mark Watson will get no money and you'll get have all of his stuff. Rinse all my career <laughs> and then leave again, yeah. And I don't even mind. I like people reading it, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, damn, I should have made them read my books. Um, <laughs> look, it's been terrific to have you back on the podcast. And thank you for doing one in lockdown as well. That was... that was. You forgot... Do you shut the computer before it had loaded up, though? Yeah, yeah. So that's I why think... the sound quality isn't very good on that one. I think both of us were absolutely hammered. <laughs> 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 I think we were. 
you were drinking whiskey throughout, <laughs> and that encouraged me to drink wine throughout. Yeah. And uh, yeah. When I asked you to do this, I'd forgotten that you'd been you'd done one on the on. The <laughs> I thought I'd ask Martin. I thought, did he do one of the? Did, did I seem to remember he did one of the remote ones. No. I think I've done one and a half before <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I remember, I remember the one you did in the Les Square Theatre. Uh, terrific. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Mark Watson. And uh, thank you. Thank you very much for coming. See you uh, at Les Square Theatre. Good night. You have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Improvisation, my dear Mark Watson. Thank you to Scant Regard for providing some music for these credits and doing nothing else the whole time they were here. What rude men. I've indebted to my producer, Ben Walker. He's shining lights in my face now to try and put me off. Uh, thank you to Chris Evans, not that one, for all his work at GoFast Stripe and Sky Potato. I'm indebted to George Lingford, who's recording the sound for these broadcasts. He is extremely good, and people who say he's incompetent should back off. Ridiculous. Thank you to everyone at the Phoenix for having us. Uh, it's been lovely to be back at this beautiful venue. I'm sure we'll be back again. Uh, this is a Sky Potato Fuzz on GoFasterStripe.com production. We will see you soon at the Leicester Square Theatre. Go to richardherring.com slash gigs for more information. You might be able to get to see us at the Leicester Comedy Festival. Who knows? Thanks for listening. Now go away. <laughs>